When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. I'm Simon Hughes and I'm eagerly awaiting the start of the new county championship season in this glorious weather. They begin on Friday, six games, three in the first division and three in the second. And we hear from the laid-back Kiwi trying to inspire another title win in the first division. And also on this programme, the former England batsman and county captain who has a surprise tip for the title. And I'm Simon Mann. The main features this season, remember it's all changed, 14 games each, not 16. There's also a round of floodlit matches in late June. England, of course, playing a day-night test match against West Indies, so some preparation for that coming up. We've got eight teams in Division 1, ten teams in Division 2. The Royal London Cup is starting earlier this year, 27th of April, first one-day matches. The T20 Blast is starting later in July. The season, the county season, ends on the 28th of September, although that's actually a day before England's final one-day international this summer, which comes up against the West Indies down in Southampton. I mean, it's, an, it's a never-ending season. It's, it's amazing, actually, to think about it. Now, don't, don't forget to relieve a podcast review on iTunes. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought. And a reminder, if you haven't already done it, you can subscribe to the Analyst Inside Cricket, so you'll get the programme automatically each week. We're trying to release them on a Monday night, so you can get it early on Tuesday morning. You just click on the button where it says subscribe. And as I said, it is. it feels like the longest ever season. And I, I just popped down to the start of the season, the sort of official start of the season today, uh, in Merchant Taylor's School in North London. And it's a nice contrast with what used to happen. I remember we used to report back on something like April the 3rd to Barclays Bank Ealing to a really dusty... As late as April the 3rd? Yeah. For pre-season training? Absolutely. Because most people have been away all winter. So you came back sort of end of March, playing wherever you were, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia. And, you know, you had to report back, as it were. And we always uh, came to this really dusty, grimy gym, Barclays Bank Ealing, uh, to do a load of shuttles up and down the gym and some various other sort of drills... I remember Phil Edmonds, the England spinner, always saying, is this strictly necessary, doing all these burpees and things? But it was uh, just a kind of a week of, of absolute just sweat and toil in an indoor centre with very little cricket, quite a lot of eating between sessions. I mean, you know, a sort of carbo-loading fest with chips and everything. Uh, but then we never really actually started playing until the second week. And, and yet today I've been down to Merchant Taylors and there's a... Beautiful setting down there with Middlesex playing Durham in a two-day game, each team trying to bat for a whole day, and lots of the support staff, coaches and extra players, uh, spectators down there sitting in deck chairs, and already the players are looking pretty good. And, of course, Middlesex have already played a, a match in Abu Dhabi, so their players are looking pretty grooved. I mean, serious business. I mean, the other one factor about cricket now, of course, is that it's easier to play because the drainage is better on, on grounds. So, 
you know, the county championship season can start earlier. But it is noticeable, and I follow quite a lot of clubs on Twitter, how much cricket is already being played around the country. Yeah. You know, all, all those those warm up games. Of course, year round contracts now make a complete difference, don't they? Players are well, they're practicing before Christmas, after Christmas, and they're not playing overseas. So, in the sense of cricket not being so much of a sort of part time sport anymore as a, as a full time sport. I mean, did it feel, did it feel a bit part time in your day? But you know, with, yeah. with the club just in the summer, that was it. Of course, it did. Uh, in fact, uh, we used to have to hand everything back at the end of the season, including your car. You had a, a sponsored car, and on September the thirtieth, that was back to the club with the P45, and you were kind of a free agent then for six months. But, I mean, now they they have a month off in October and they're back training in November and, you know, passing their caliper tests and, and fitness tests of all kinds. And then the nets from December, as Gus Fraser said on a, a previous episode of this show, they had the marquee up at Merchant Taylor's School in March. Well, that's another innovation, yeah. isn't it? So that you can practice outdoors earlier. Yeah, and I saw the marquee today. You know, on a, on one of the sort of eight squares that Merchant Taylor's enjoy, they had a big marquee. It looks like corporate hospitality marquee, but actually it's for cricket practice with heaters inside. And in fact, the pitch is almost worn out under the the marquee. And they were playing on a, a fairly dry looking pitch uh, for for this time of year today. And actually, Durham were only one week down at lunch. So, you, you know, whereas you compare that to the days when I played, 1980s, I mean, you'd expect that team to be four or five wickets down at lunch almost by regulation. And well, not in these kind of conditions. No, well, we, we have been blessed with a very dry early spring as well, which, which obviously helps long may that continue. I mean, it does seem that the season is going long because you will say about the English summer, you can't really predict the weather. But it seems to me it's a bit more predictable these days. It's generally OK in September and generally OK earlier mm. in, in the year, you know, yeah. springtime, and then you get very wet July time, I mean, that you know, it's a very rough guide, of course, but it seems to be a little bit more predictable and that the drainage doesn't make a huge difference. Now, what, what about the championship? Then? It's, it's starting on Friday, Middlesex are not, not in action, the defending champions in, in this round of, of matches. We've got the prospect uh, at Chelmsford of Jimmy Anderson bowling to, to Alistair Cook. There are two other games as well, Surrey taking on Warwickshire with their new coach, Ashley Giles, and uh, Yorkshire, who were dethroned by Middlesex last season, at home to Hampshire, who've made one or two interesting signings over the winter. You won the title four times with Middlesex, but you were never able to defend the title. Why was it so difficult to defend the county championship title? I think it's a good question. Obviously, opposition raise their game, and you're the team to knock off the top. It's harder to stay at the top than to get to the top, is the old cliche, and I think it's true. And, you know, you lose players. Players get, in the past, players are transferred to other teams or they've had their incredible season and it's hard to, to replicate it the following season. Actually, I, I remember the last time that I played in the championship winning side, 1990, we beat Sussex to win the championship at Hove and I took the last two wickets in two balls. So, theoretically, I was actually on a hat-trick the following year, although I know the statisticians... Uh, amongst you will probably claim that it wouldn't actually be a hat trick if it, if I took it, achieved it, but so the expectation was huge. We won the championship, and I was on a hat trick, and we got to the first game of the season. Lots of practice, lots of expectation, lots of planning, and I I got really keyed up for this first ball. My I came on first chain. I got really keyed up for this first ball of of, uh, of my season, and I bowled a wide. 
saw those chips in pre-season. Probably. And all that running. I mean, all that drill, those sort of <laughs> stupid shuttles, which didn't, which didn't made me charge to the wicket and bowled wide outside off stump. But, yeah, it is a, a hard thing to, to repeat to the Championship win. I know Yorkshire have done it, and that's pretty remarkable. But, obviously, everybody looks at your methods and how you achieve that Championship success, and they borrow ideas from it clearly and, and I, I mean there's a certain amount of luck involved as well because you only have to win Middlesex only won six games last year and of course there was that amazing final game where there was a bit of collusion involved to create the the, the, the climax and Yorkshire finally losing so you know to win six games out of what was then 16 games now only 14 games you, you do need a, a bit of luck and, and in fact Middlesex drew 10 games so it's quite hard winning matches at Lords as well. Yeah. And they obviously play half their games at Lords. So the fact they did it was was pretty remarkable. And I, I think the way that the the championship has evolved this year, probably a few teams have strengthened themselves. I think to repeat it is going to be tough. The pitch you play on obviously has a you know a huge impact, and other teams who play on flat pitches as well. I think probably Surrey play on. Pitches at the Oval were hard to create a result. Hampshire had a whole bundle of, of draws last yeah. season. They, they couldn't force many victories, didn't lose many games either. And to all intents and purposes, that game at Lords at the end of the season, you know, it was going to, it was heading for a draw, wasn't it? But they, because they colluded, they were able to force a result. And I think one of the fascinating things this season is is going to be down at Taunton. Are they going to keep going mm. with the sort of pitches that we saw in the second half? of last season. I mean, Somerset may feel that's their best opportunity this season, keep on producing those spinning pitches and you'll inevitably mm. lose one or two, mm. but you might better you know, win three or four and that can propel you towards the title. I rather like the, the fact that Somerset have done that in the past and I hope they continue because you want a bit of variety and over the last 10, 15 years with all the, the Surrey loam that has been introduced on all the pitches up and down the country... The pitches have become quite uniform. You don't get the variety. Like Headingley used to be... When you ran up to bowl at Headingley in the 1980s, it was like running up on soot. Yeah. It was like black dust. And it disintegrated after five overs at one end. There was hardly any footholds left. And the ball would grip on bits of the dust and seam or bounce slightly unpredictably. So, you know, you had to really bat superbly technically well at somewhere like Headingley and yet you'd then go to Southampton or Hove or somewhere and, and the ball would be flying through uh, certainly at Hove, uh, completely different whereas I think over the last probably 10 years it has become more uniform so the fact that Somerset A have, have gone for a more spin friendly type uh, situation is not only good for the game but it's good for spinners too and I like Graham Swan's suggestion that perhaps a couple of counties could almost nominate themselves as spin academies mm. because we definitely have a dearth of it. I mean, your view is not one that's shared by everyone in cricket. I mm. know there was a lot of resentment uh, towards the end of last season that, at what Somerset did, the fact they, they made spinning pitches. Uh, I don't think, for example, Yorkshire or Middlesex were that happy. I, mean, I think there was a feeling at Middlesex, wasn't there, that you know, they were having to slave away on pitches that were difficult to produce a result yeah. on and then Somerset were you know their games are ending in, in, in two and three I, I days. Mean, Middlesex have a have a, a, a unique situation in that they don't own their right. ground so they don't really have any say on what the pitches will be and that's an unusual disadvantage which will never change probably but I don't know I, I think you need variety and in a way the fact that Somerset 
created a, a spin-friendly type pitch means that to win the championship, you need a good all-round balanced attack. I, I think that's good for the game. 1,800 more overs of spin were bowled in the first division mm. last season, which, which because of the, I mean, the, the toss was changed as well, yeah. and that the, the, the idea behind that was to, to try to bring spinners into the game. I saw an interesting interview with uh, Ollie Rayner in, one, uh, in The Guardian over the, over the weekend, you know, saying that when it came to later in the season, he was used to bowling, he was used to trying to win games. He took nine, didn't he, in a match against Durham. He was used to trying to win games or being part of part of winning games for Middlesex. It wasn't, you know, you're obsolete for the first half of the season because the seamers are doing everything. It was, you've mm. been part of it already. So yeah. he, was, he was used to it. He, he felt part of the team. He felt part of, of that victory process. And he said it made a huge difference. And, uh, you know, it, just because you're a, a spinner on a spinning pitch doesn't mean you're going to take wickets it it puts them under more pressure to be able to perform so it's not just a question of producing a spinning pitch and winning the game mm. if you've got a couple of spinners they're still going to bowl well and it's challenging the opposition batsmen to play and adapt their game I think one of the most satisfying things about some of the Middlesex championship winning teams of the 1980s was we did have a really balanced mm. attack because we had the fast bowlers we had what was known then as the Jackson Five uh, which was sort of Norman Cowens, Wayne Daniel, Neil Williams, and I sort of played a part in that. Uh, and then there was Roland Butcher and Wolf Slack batting, so that was the Jackson Five. Uh, and then uh, we had Embry and Edmonds to bowl spin. So, you know, we, we had the, the, the attack for any situation. And I think if, if a team really deserves to win the championship, it almost needs that good balance of, of seamers and spinners and good player, good batsmen as well. You've also had good captains as well over yeah. the years. You had Mike Brearley, you had yeah. um, Mike Gatting, of course. You could yeah. pull a few strings here and there. What about what about the, the current Middlesex captain, James Franklin? He's an interesting character, isn't he? he? He sort of got drafted in almost slightly by default when Adam Vode is going back to Australia. And I, I, I think he's got a, he's not a particularly outstanding cricketer, but he brings a, a very nice mentality to the game and of course in the past county captains there were so many demands on them sort of administratively as, as much as they were strategically there was someone like Gatting would be organising the nets and obviously planning the lunches uh, not actually bringing them down himself he <laughs> just, would eating be, them. just eating them but you know planning the travel to an away game uh, orchestrating the, the practice days, what would be happening, probably even sort of asking people who needed physio treatments and, uh, you know, generally being a very administrative source of selecting the team and even doing a bit of coaching. So it was massively demanding being a county captain in those days. Times have changed. There's a lot more people to do those sorts of bits and bobs, but I think uh, a mandate, particularly um, championship cricket, is just to try and get the best of the, out of the guys every day. I mean... If you're a professional cricketer, you, we all know that there are the ups and downs through the season. And I think as a captain, you try and be as consistent as you can with your personality. Ride the wave of emotion, ride the wave of your own form and try and you know, turn up every day with some sort of smile on your face. Because I think that helps just calm the dressing room um, in times of, of uh, dire straits. Or, or it also helps keeping guys focused if things are going really well. It sort of brings guys back. So... Um, that's sort of what I see the main role of a captain in county cricket and that's what I've been trying to do in Middlesex and um, 
yeah, you probably have to ask the guys whether or not that's a good formula. Do, do you bring in a way, in a way the, the Brendan McCullum philosophy then? Because I remember he said uh, b- before the 2015 series over here, the international series, he said, mm. I like the idea of, of waking up and opening the curtains and the sun shining and looking forward to playing cricket. Yeah. And I try to pass that on to the, to the New Zealand colleagues. Yeah. And it worked, clearly. So is that a sort of almost a New Zealand philosophy of playing? Uh, it could be. I mean, Brendan and I, we've played a lot of cricket together since we were sort of 17, 18 years. So we're probably uh, cut a little bit from the same cloth in terms of their aspect, their attitude. You know, I still get up out of bed excited to play cricket. And um, I think I've become a bit more philosophical with performance in cricket. There are lots of ups, there are a lot of downs. And if you can control what you can control, and that's your attitude fundamentally, um, I like to think that everything sort of balances out. So, um, you know, I've only got a few years left, if that. So I just want to enjoy every day that I'm playing. And I, I just want, hopefully in some way, that attitude just to rub off the guys and keep the perspective that it is just a game of cricket. Um, I think as cricketers, we can get very entrenched and very insular with our game and how it might define us. But cricket doesn't really define us. That We are just humans that play the game and we've got to enjoy that because cricket is... It is a tough game. It's intrinsically one of the most complex games going around. So if you start thinking too hard about it, you go mad. So you just try and control what you can, enjoy the day, and then you know hopefully wake up tomorrow and you want to do it again. Do you think that was at the heart of Middlesex's success last year, that philosophy? Um, I think a lot of guys, you know, in saying that, you know, were incredibly driven um, to perform. And, and I think we also had that balance of that attitude of enjoying just today, don't worry about too much of what we need to might do tomorrow, what happened yesterday. We just focus on today and control what we can. Uh, we worry about tomorrow when we wake up. And that was uh, sort of an underlying tone uh, throughout the year and, and, and looking after our processes and, you know, you could wax on about all those sorts of things. But I think that really helped the guys. It kept it clear for the guys. And then when obviously guys got informed, they just tended to stay informed for quite long periods of time, which obviously helped the, the team performance as well. And how do you follow that then from the <laughs> success of last year? I know I talked to Gus a little bit about you're kind of almost not quite sure how you achieve what you achieve. There's this cocktail that you're all drinking from and mm. you're loving it. You're loving the mm. taste of it. Mm. But you're not quite sure what all the ingredients are. So yeah. how, how do you follow it up? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I don't really have the silver bullet on that one. I think you know, last year was last year now and we've got to be aware that everyone starts back on zero um, in terms of points and... There are a lot of very strong teams, and uh, they want to they want to have what we had last year. So we've got to make sure that we just stay focused with you know our processes, as I mentioned. Keep working hard, not being satisfied with with where we are individually and collectively. We've just got to keep keep what we got from last year, but just a little bit more, if that makes sense. And um, we know it's going to be a tough scrap. And you know if we're there or thereabouts in August, then we've got a shot. Um, but you know, fundamentally, we can only worry about uh, Hampshire and Southampton in a couple of weeks. That's our that's our focus now, and then we worry about the next game after that. Before last year, you look at all the teams and you think, you know, this is an incredibly strong first division, the strongest it's probably been for a while. And this year, I think it's strengthened again. Um, so look, that's just the nature of it. It can only be good for English cricket if there's a really strong first division with competitive matches um, right throughout the season. A final thought, uh, you played your fair bit in the IPL and other T20s around the world. What's your view of England's forthcoming plan to play a, a, a brand new T20 tournament with only eight teams? 
I think they're definitely making the right move. I think something sort of needs to change a little bit in terms of the way that the world of T20 franchise leagues have gone everywhere else and England's still a little bit behind, which is kind of ironic considering that England sort of found the game. Um, there's a lot of very, very good, talented, um, naturally gifted players in England and specifically for T20, you can see that being reflected in... Uh, the international team that England currently have in the short film, it's incredibly dynamic and it's very competitive to make that team. Um, so it's only going to be good. And I think if you if you if you can narrow it down to eight teams, then you're going to have the cream of the crop in terms of who's playing in that. What happens to the other players that don't make it? Um, I'm not too sure. That's probably a question that they need to figure out themselves. But um, I, I definitely think that the ECB, you know, are moving in the right direction. Well, that's James Franklin, whose Middlesex side won the title last year. I saw a tweet from you, Simon, on the new 2020 competition in 2020, saying that you were surprised at the lack of enthusiasm or opposition to the new 2020 league, generally among cricket supporters. Is, is that your sense, that there, there is opposition out there and people are indifferent to it or antagonistic towards it? Maybe... Twitter is dominated by people who are negative. I don't know, really. But certainly the sense I got when I put that county cricket is essentially £200 million in debt with all the borrowing required, uh, that's one reason why we need this new tournament to reinvigorate the game, to get more funds involved and obviously a bigger audience involved. And the fact that you know there are £9 million viewers watched the final couple of tests of the 2005 Ashes, you know, where are those 9 million people now? What are they watching? Because they're certainly not watching cricket. When 1 million watched the NatWest Blast spectators, plus probably another 1 million on telly, perhaps, maximum, but no more. So where are the other 7 million? We've got to get at those people. And I, I've tried to just argue that because obviously I care passionately about cricket, like you do, and I want to, more, as many people to share in it as possible. And I think we've almost reached a probably a ceiling, a plateau, with viewing and audience as spectators. And so we need to find something new. And I just feel there is this fear uh, that it will destroy the county game as it is and that members will not be able to watch their their favourite counties in five, six years' time. And I, I just don't see it like that. And I find it odd that people do. Mm. I feel it's the saviour of the county game in the same way as the John Player League Save country in the 1970s. What, what's clear to me, and I think this point has not been got across at the moment, is that the game, the 2020 competition that's coming in, is about solely attracting new people to cricket. It's not about keeping existing viewers or cricket-interested people on side and, and keeping them watching. OK, if they come along, that's fine. But it really is aimed at getting a new audience altogether. It's just feeling that if, if that doesn't happen, that the game will just teeter and then sort of fall off the edge of a cliff. I think that that's the, the one of the things that hasn't been got across yet and perhaps will become clearer. And people perhaps re- resent that. You know, what, why is my... You know, why is my pound at the gate or whatever my membership fee not good enough? I'm paying for my T20 Blast tickets every year and the the sales are good this year and people will come along and watch. Uh, People perhaps seem to to resent that and, you know, I'm not interested in whoever it might be that, you know, I don't know if there's a team in the West or team in in Leeds or or Manchester, you know, they're they're manufactured sides. And that that is an issue that the ECB will have to get over is, is trying to create... Uh, an allegiance to the new team in the areas in which they are. This is about 
bringing a new audience to cricket. It's about mm. growing the game. It's as simple as that. And uh, <laughs> however much you can be a traditionist about it, however you can say, well, perhaps it's going to be to the detriment of Test cricket, and I hope it doesn't, but you, know, you can see that happening... They do their job. The ECB's job is to is to keep the game going, is to make the game thrive. And at the moment, there is just that feeling that if we don't do something, it, it will just sort of pootle along and then just not not collapse, but just just be out of people's consciousness. Growth is what you should always try and achieve as a company or a sport of any kind. And as I, as you say, I I think I think it's plateauing and. Yeah, okay, so the NatWest blast has gradually increased, but it's not massive. And you just want so many more people to enjoy the rewards that, that cricket offers. You're, you're a Bristolian originally. Yeah. I mean, you know, so you're from provincial England. How do you feel about tour, uh, teams with no affiliation? I mean, would you still, if you still lived in Bristol, would you still go and watch Gloucestershire as well as watching the Diamonds that are the West Country team, say? What, the West Country Diamonds, are they taking on the, yeah. I don't know, the Leeds Lights or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd probably go along out of interest to see whether it, it worked or not. Whether I'd find that affiliation, I don't know, but then it's not for me. It's not for, it's not for someone who's in their 50s. It's for someone who is perhaps 10... 15 years old, whose dad is interested in cricket or half interested in cricket, to take them along, or mum, to take them along to a game, get a family along, and to get and to build that, I suppose, loyalty from, from a young age. So that, that's where it's aimed at, I think. It's not aimed at, it's not aimed at people like no, me. It's not aimed at you, but you, we want people like you to go as well. Yeah. Well, I, you want a few people who know the game as well as the ones who don't. Yeah. Well, I think what, what, what clearly what the ECB hope is that the people who like the game already will go along in the way that you know when, when twenty twenty started, people say, "Oh, I'm not, I'm not interested in that twenty twenty cricket." I go, I go along to the championship, but actually, yeah. members in, enjoy the twenty twenty as well. well I mean, when I was younger, I didn't, I didn't think, "Oh, it, there's a there's a test match today." Um, I only like Test match cricket. I won't go and watch a one-day game. I liked all cricket. I would, you know, I would watch the John Player League. I would watch the Benson Hedges Cup. I'd watch yeah. the Gillette Cup. I'd watch the what, Test matches. You I, know, you I, like, I, mean, I liked I, it all. I agree. I mean, I, I have two days to go to the new, the next IPL. I'll be watching that, mm. even though Test cricket is my first love. And you know, we both find, don't we, from working on Test cricket, that I think you savour it more. You you certainly remember it better after a Test match because. It's it's an examination of character as well as skill, and there are so many more little vignettes in a, in a test match to talk about and duels and you know instances incidents that that sort of throw up talking points. Whereas a T Twenty game, you know, is a bit like a Chinese meal. It's sort of great. It satisfies you for a few minutes and then it leaves you hungry. In a way, that's true. Although I mean, I do find that obviously about Test cricket is multi-layered, and because it goes slower, you can you can sort of relax a bit more. The tension is not so great. But I actually find it, it, it far more tense if you're involved in a Twenty Twenty match because each ball it does it does matter, mm. and in, in a way, it, it, it's it's everything is constrained. Into into that one over or, or two balls or one ball, it, it, it seems to matter more. So I actually find myself being far more tense watching a T20. It's match. like a penalty shootout. In a way, it is, yeah, than a, than, a, than a Test match. Although Test match cricket, of course, sometimes does throw up those amazing, you know, fantastic finishes where you you do get every ball does matter and you get really wrapped up in it. Okay, coming up uh, in a moment, we're going to hear from a man who's got a surprise tip for the championship this season. We'll be back after this short break. 
Right, Simon, who is your tip for the title this year, the county championship title? Well, having just said it's virtually impossible to retain the title, and apart from Yorkshire, I'm going to say Middlesex, uh, for the simple reason that I think their bowling attack is really good and deep. Just been watching them play today, actually, and Stephen Finn isn't even playing, and they still have a, a pretty potent opening attack of... Toby Rowland-Jones, who is everybody's least favourite adversary, on certainly on a flat pitch. He's very, very good at just nagging away and, and getting a bit of extra bounce and, and very persistent. And at the other end was Tom Helm, who isn't actually as young as people think. He's, I, I think he's 23, but he's been on the fringe of Middlesex's side for some years and keeps breaking down at the beginning of the season. But he's... Uh, He's got the, the, the pace, the height, the movement, the accuracy of someone who could really play test cricket. He looks... Well, he's on England's radar, he, isn't he? He looks the part. Yeah. I mean, he's still having slight issues with uh, his technique. He, sometimes his, his bowling action doesn't quite finish. But, but he's got the raw material there. Uh, bounce, pace, movement, consistency to be a real handful, and then backed up by people like Tim Murta, who, of course, is, is there and thereabouts all the time, and James Harris, they've got Harry Podmore. You know, they've really got a good attack, and then, obviously, they've got Ollie Rayner to, to bowl spin. So I really like Middlesex's uh, overall attack, and their batting is, is very strong. Uh, Nick Gubbins was the standout player for last season, and I, I saw Andy Flower at the, at the ground today, and he said he's looked really good with the Lions, the way he's adapted his game to different situations and different bowlers. Sam Robson, his opening partners, played for England. David Milan, I think, is a very talented player who's perhaps you know coming into his own now, really starting to really flourish. Obviously, they've got Nick Compton, although Compton actually looks as if he's nursing a shoulder injury and might not play the first couple of weeks, which is a slight worry. But I think overall, I just like Middlesex's strength in depth. And their approach, you know, really sort of epitomised by James Franklin's arguments. It's very competitive, isn't it, the First Division? You could almost make a case out for all, all the teams, or, or most of the teams, going close to winning the title. And also, you know, if you start badly, you, you suddenly slip into relegation trouble as well. Eight teams, <laughs> yeah. two relegation places this season. Although Surrey finished fifth last season. Uh, they've recruited uh, Borthwick and Stoneman from... Durham, and they've got some some useful bowlers as well. They've got the you know the Curran brothers, Mika, Mika, and yeah. Dernback, and yeah. Foot it as well. Foot it, yeah, yeah. And Sari and and Batty to bowl spin, and, and Borthwick maybe, and Borthwick of course, yeah. But they just it's, it's difficult for for, for Sari, isn't it? Winning games at home is is tough. Well, it's the same problem that Middlesex had last yeah, season in theory, but they were able to overcome it just by a little bit of collusion in that last game, clearly, but. Yeah, I, I mean, it's obviously hard for these teams. Hampshire as well, playing on a, a good pitch. That's the problem they have, so therefore they need lots of bowlers to, to make sure they share the load and, and, and retain their penetration. Not much change from Warwickshire this season, apart from at the top with Ashley Giles back in, in place of Dougie Brown. Uh, Lancashire have got uh, Chandapal. Dane Vias, a, a coal pack player. Quite a few coal pack players have, have come into the the game this season. Yorkshire have got Peter Hanscom as their overseas player. Somerset, well, we talked about Surrey actually recruiting Stoneman and Borthwick because they've lost Stephen Davis, mm. who's a you know very good county player. He's gone down to Somerset. Yeah. Tom Abel, 
the captain this season. It's an interesting one. They've gone for, for a young player yeah. like well, Tom Abel's their captain. Hopefully he would have learned from Chris Rogers, who yeah. obviously set a, a great benchmark last year. And then there's Essex. Varon Tropper is back. Adam Wheater. Simon Harmon. Another Colpack signing to bowl some spin for them. They'll have Alistair Cook for the first chunk of the season. Neil Wagner is their overseas player. There's bustling Kiwi left arm. And they've got some good batters, Essex, haven't they? With with people like Wesley and Dan Lawrence, young players. Well, Wesley's not that young, but they've got some exciting cr- cricketers, actually. I, I've said Middlesex to win the title, but it could really be any one of about five teams. And the man we identified at the start, who was going to give us some interesting tips, is, is Rob Key, former Kent and England player, who comes up with an unexpected tip for the title. Quite a few counties have recruited quite well. Whether you say recruited well, I think they've brought in good players, like Hampshire, so it depends on where you sit on what side of the argument with the coal pack, mm. um, whether that's a good or bad thing. But as far as the cricket's concerned, they've brought in some good players, Hampshire, and so they managed to just hang on, didn't they, for relegation. I think they're a good side this year. I think they've got good batting. George Bailey's a decent batsman along with Riley Rousseau um, and I tell you who, when they got up into the first division first the first time for a while it was Kyle Abbott who led the bowling attack I think he's the signing of the year uh, whether again you're happy with a cold pack signing but as far as an out and out cricketer he is a fantastic bowler for English conditions as well so I think that there's going to be competition for places. You've got young Liam Dawson. James Vince, I think, is obviously going to play the whole year, you'd think. They've got more than enough batting. Michael Carberry, who I know pretty well. Touch, touch with all things being equal. If he's fit and able to get back playing with a real point to prove, desperate to do well. Um, so I think that Hampshire, look, uh, they'd be my outside bet, actually, I think, for the championship. Yorkshire are probably favourites because of... I don't think they've lost too many players, really. They they obviously lose players for England, but they have a winning culture there, albeit with a new coach. He's still going to have side bottom on his last year, so Yorkshire will be right up there. And Middlesex, of course, uh, not only won last year, but they were unbeaten and they were second the year before. Yeah, again, and Middlesex, there's a lot of talk around the circuit at the moment about Toby Rowland-Jones. So when you speak to players... I didn't face much of him. I faced him when he was probably a, a young lad coming through. But when you speak to batsmen, the one name that keeps coming up as a good buy, and some of the commentators as well, is Toby Rowland-Jones. I heard some of the quotes that he's the best flat-wicket bowler as well, so he's the hardest bowler to face on a flat pitch. Stephen Finn, depending on his availability. Ollie Rayner had a good year. I, again, I think they're a, a good setup with Gus as well. I like the way that he's gone right the way through the system. So they'll be Middlesex... Middlesex and Yorkshire are my two favourites, with Hampshire as an outside chance. You haven't mentioned Somerset, of course. Uh, do you feel that perhaps their uh, tendency to prepare turning wickets for a couple of spinners perhaps flattered them a bit? Uh, I don't know about flattered. I, I think that you know, Jack Leach, if really, I mean, it won't be his second year. I mean, he's been around a while, but I think now people, people will start to have a game plan for those pitches and Somerset. I thought Chris Rogers was an outstanding captain actually and that he'll be a loss. I know he's doing some coaching there but I think you know, him and Trez, very much, I know he didn't get loads and loads of runs Rogers, but I think it's a different game when you've got someone like that leading from the front I think he'll be missed um, 
mm. there. But look, Somerset, the problem Somerset always have is that is unless they prepare result pitches like that, and that's the first time in about in my career that they've been able to do it actually I think they've tried it every single year and only last year was the first year they got it right <laughs> and I thought it was good for cricket actually mm. Um, mm. but everyone's a year wiser now I think they caught people on the hop the law, the rules changed or regulations changed and you know, people were encouraged to produce spinning pitches or you weren't penalised for producing spinning pitches which you had been for ever since I started playing but you know, again I think It'd be interesting to see how they go. I mean, it's. I, I just fancy Middlesex, Yorkshire, mm. and Hampshire. And Hampshire. Well, that's Rob Key giving his thoughts on the new Championship season. We've actually focused a lot on the First Division, and that's symptomatic of the way things are these days. There is so much focus on the First Division, and not so very little. Not very little. Not so much focus on the second division. We've perhaps done that unwittingly, but it is an indication that the, the, the second division is now seen as mm. almost second rate. Ten teams in the second division this season. Uh, Durham are there as well after being relegated last season. They started with a, a 48 points uh, deduction at the start of the season, so it's going to be very hard for them. And Nottinghamshire as well in the second division with, with Stuart Broad starting the season in Division 2. Mm. It's a shame for Durham, isn't it? And actually, it ruins their their record because they were the only team that hadn't been relegated from the First Division since 2000. So that was an impressive, what, 16 years of, of being the only team that hadn't gone down. And, of course, it wasn't the players' fault that they were relegated, but they've got to deal with it. I, I guess you, you just have to get on with it, really. The, the fact that they're in business at all is, in some people's eyes, perhaps a bit lucky... Uh, because they had to have the bailout from the ECB, and you know, as players, I mean, it, it, it's that old cliche: one game at a, at a time. But it is that, and, and they just have to focus on winning a couple of games, and they'll be back in the black. And then, actually, they could easily get straight back into the to the first division, and I think that would be their rightful place because, you know, they've generated so many talented players over the last twenty years. Paul Connor was still playing, still looking. Incredibly sprightly. I, I saw him this afternoon looking like a spring chicken. And, you know, he's a great leader, isn't he? He's a, he's a real motivator, inspiring character. In, in fact, in the West Indies, he was out there as England's fielding coach. And I saw him doing the sprint training with Johnny Bairstow and perfectly happy to keep up with a player who's probably 12, 14 years younger. So um, Collingwood breeds that sort of spirit into Durham. I'm sure they'll find a way of, of, of winning games again, even though they have lost Scott Borthwick. That would be a big loss mm. because he, he was making lots of runs for them. Just one final point on the county season, then we'll do our, our highlight, low light to finish, is that, is that there seems to be a greater structure to the season this year and something that Andrew Strauss pointed out a, a while back. that he, he said this season that players would only change between one format and another probably six times. Whereas last year, going from T20 to one-day cricket, back to championship to one-day cricket to T20 again, a player could change formats as many as 24 times in a summer. I mean, that's, a, that's an amazing statistic, that, isn't it? Those people at home who perhaps don't play cricket will say, well, so what? You, you know, Just because you're playing 50 overs or 20 overs instead of four day, why does it make any difference? You're still hitting a ball with a bat. And the stumps and the the, the, start, the the pitch is the same size and all that, but actually it's it's the mental approach and the technical approach to both forms of, forms of the game, which are diverging 
more and more quickly. In test cricket, you know, it's very much an examination of character, the same as a four-day game. Technique, it has to be very precise. And, and yet the explosive nature of T20 and 50-over cricket is more about expression, taking risks, playing in a completely different way. There's a lot of premeditation in the shorter forms of the game, which you can't really do in, in a four-day game because you've got to play the ball on its merits. So there are men, mental and technical differences to both forms of the game, which I think are hard to adjust to, and it's great that they haven't got to adjust to it quite so much this year. You must have played in those championship matches that were... That enveloped a Sunday league game as well. Though. I mean, does that, does that seem nonsensical? And, and, and you know, it was even worse then because actually we had to. We often had a three-day game starting on, starting on a Saturday. So Saturday, Monday, Tuesday was the three-day yeah. game, and on the Sunday you play a Sunday league. Quite often at a different venue. And the, the worst thing of all in those games was Sunday league. You had to bowl off a short run, fifteen-yard run. So there was a white line painted fifteen-yard backs from the stumps. And you couldn't go beyond that, otherwise it's a no ball. So you were bowling off a completely different run-up, Saturday and Sunday, and then back to the old run-up on Monday. It was unbelievably disorientating. But now, with the, the methods, the, the, the innovative shots, the different styles of bowling that you use in different formats, it, it must be hard to adjust. So, so some sanity prevails? I, I, I totally agree with the block format, and I know the players do. If you yeah. listen to them talking about... The, the season coming up, they'll all say, phew, thank God the NatWest Blast is in a block and we can really focus on the skills required just for that type of cricket. OK, let's finish with our highlight lowlight. I'm going to do the highlight this week. Uh, Michael Carberry, uh, oh, back in pre-season yeah. training, scoring a, a 100 for Hampshire in a pre-season match. Uh, he's had his illness problems. He, he says himself he's not fully recovered but uh, great to see him back and that's my highlight this week that's a fantastic story he was dropped a little bit prematurely by England probably actually as well so you know hopefully a happy ending and hopefully he can maintain his recovery and, and continue his, his good form to start the season with uh, while my low light you know can you look at these two fingers here um, this little finger here is pretty like pretty damaged hit on the finger a few times not very good it's been through a mangle yeah I, I mean but batsmen get hit on the fingers quite often, certainly tail-enders do. Not so much top-order players nowadays, but Hasib Hamid has sustained another finger injury. And that's a worry for me because, obviously, excellent player, great mentality, good technique. But what I've noticed about him is he plays low, especially on the front foot. He, When he plays forward, he seems to drop his hands quite low. And I don't know why that is, it's just the way that certain batsmen do it. In fact, Desmond Haynes, the, the great West Indian, did it as well and often got hit on the fingers. But there weren't enough bowlers to worry him, I don't think. And then he just sort of pulled them off their length and then he got away with it. Hasib Hamid does have a bit of a technical issue there, I think. Maybe he just needs a stronger pair of gloves. But I think he's going to be hit on the fingers a few times in his career because of the way he plays. Well, he's obviously going to be one of those players that a lot of people are going to focus on this season so let's hope those problems are, are not too intense and he can solve them because it will be great to see him have a, an excellent summer when the test matches finally get underway in, in July Yeah, I can't wait to see how he gets on actually Thanks very much for listening, we'll be back next week See you then
Social Podcast Network.